0: everybody we are live again a new week i hope you guys are doing well i'm excited to come and talk to you guys again today you know a lot of what i do on this show is we talk about um unanswered questions, right? Questions that we have in trying to look at some of the best science and philosophy and theology and trying to answer some of the big questions of life. Uh, But a new book has come out by Dr. Jeff Myers, talking about unquestioned answers and actually looking at some of the Christian cliches, some of the phrases that we very quickly say, and maybe are true in some sense, uh, but maybe not as deep as we want to go. And so we're going to be looking at some of these Christian cliches that we can sometimes or maybe rethink, and then look at the biblical truths behind that. And So joining me to do that today is the author, Dr. Jeff Myers. Jeff, thanks for coming on.
1: Hey, Ryan. Yeah, great to be with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Jeff is the president of Summit Ministries. He has just spent years working with students in leadership development and training in worldview and theology. He's produced a series of books that I use in my classroom, Understanding the Times, Understanding the Faith, and Understanding the Culture, which uh, some of my students will be sending in some questions on. And so uh, just a privilege to be able to work for Summit for a little bit of time as I spent two years at the summer conferences as well as have Dr. Jeff join me. So uh, Jeff, why don't you start off maybe? And uh, for those that don't know a whole lot about Summit, maybe talk about your own story, kind of who you are, what you do and uh, what Summit is.
1: Well, uh, my story really runs through Summit. I attended Summit Ministries as a student. The, uh, the, The story is this, that when I was 17 years of age, I had and I tell the story in Unquestioned Answers. I, I had decided that I was going to graduate from high school and graduate from church at the same time. So my parents, wanting to have an influence on my life, dis- said decided that they would send me to some ministries. I met Dr. David Noble when I arrived there, and I said to him, I hope you have a lot of answers because I have a lot of questions. Yeah. And he didn't say, hey, look, kid, don't worry about it, or we have got all the answers. He didn't say... Hey, look, man! Uh, you're pretty arrogant for a 17 year old, but I was. <laughs> uh, he said, "At Summit, we aren't afraid of questions," and, and that set me on a journey of exploration. I realized that it was okay to ask hard questions and to look for answers. So that the Christianity wasn't just Sunday morning from nine to 12, and unless there's a potluck afterward, it was. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And that I needed to think through what a biblical worldview was in all of the key areas of life. And we, in some ministries, we study 10, theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, and history. Any of your students who've been through the Understanding of the Times of course probably know all 10 of those. Yeah, well, be Right there, now, we
0: just actually started the chapter on law right now today. So they got their introduction today on that.
1: Oh, perfect. Yeah, perfect. Well, this is a great time to study whether there is such a thing as a biblical worldview of law. And spoiler alert, I, I believe there is. <laughs> but it is uh, it, Summit Ministries. And it, it's uh, really ironic, given where I came from, that I now have the privilege of being the president of Summit Ministries. But our mission is to equip and support the rising generation to embrace God's truth and to champion. Biblical biblical worldview. Yeah. So our students are moving into key areas of influence. They're in entertainment. They're in politics. They're in the military. They're in business. And they're in medicine. They're in science and all kinds of key areas of life.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, and even in lecture today and what you talked about is the biblical idea and the Christian worldview regarding law is that chapter talks about this this balance of laws kind of restrict our freedom in a sense and are for protection, but then there can possibly go too far where there's too much protection and not freedom. And I think that's what you see kind of the debate right now with the coronavirus and the quarantine is how much should we be restricted in order to protect people and maybe hurt the economy or how much do we open things up and put people's lives at risk, but also, you know, not, you know, trying to do what we've been created to do and be in relationship. And so absolutely the biblical worldview applies to so much and in the issues that we're facing even kind of today. So, you know, what I want to kind of focus on in, in today is kind of really quick, kind of a looking at Summit, what you guys have planned this summer, as well as, as I mentioned, you know, my students being in your classes, giving them maybe an opportunity. Some of them are going to send in some questions that we can look at and then getting to your book, uh, Unquestioned Answers. So um, I know there's a lot of un man it's things that we are not sure of right now. So can you kind of give any update of, of what happens with Summit over the summer, maybe generally? And then do you have uh, some plans on what's kind of happening this summer? of what, how you're going to move forward. And then also I saw that there's a summit virtual this summer that's kind of going on. So kind of what, what, what's kind of in the works this summer for summit ministries?
1: Summit ministries, the main thing we do, the the biggest impact thing that we do is a two week long course of study for students 16 to 25 years of age, where we bring together top Christian thought leaders. This was the program that you were, that you were, Helping to produce, yeah, and these top Christian thought leaders give lectures, they answer questions, they do open forums, they sit with students in meal times, and then students form their own community of people who are wanting to be thoughtful believers. so it really weaves together truth and relationship. If you don't have the ability to gather in person, what do you do? So that's been obviously our staff's primary concern. Uh, we decided when the the outset of the coronavirus quarantine, that if any of our programs would be canceled, then we would, if there was a chance that any of them would be canceled, then we would go ahead with the development of Summit Virtual. Okay. Summit Virtual is, it, it, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter how many people come to it. It is alive. live. Interactive five-day program where you get to interact with these world-changing uh, leaders, best-selling authors, uh, experts in all kinds of different areas. We'll get to have live updates from celebrities and from you know from the corridors of power in Washington D.C. And the students who attend the summit virtual, but by it's uh, the cost is four hundred ninety-seven dollars. They rec- they'll receive. As part of that tuition cost, three college credits, which wow. is an $1,800 yeah. value all by itself. Yeah. yeah. So we really, we look at that and think, in many ways, this opportunity is, even if our, our programs aren't canceled, it looks like at least one of them will be. Okay. But even okay. if the others are, it, we won't miss a beat. We'll be able to still connect people through Summit virtual. And it's it's fun. I was just... I was just with our team today and we were, we were testing, testing it. And it is hysterical, the things that they have come up with to to make it very personal and fun and interactive. And it's just, I, it's, it's all going to be a surprise. I won't just read, I won't reveal any of it here, but it's unbelievable things that they have managed to produce from concept to Testing in three weeks of a brand new program for sub ministries. So, yeah. Yeah. in many ways, the coronavirus forced us to be innovative, and, and that's how we have responded.
0: Yeah, well, that's incredible. And you know, and again, as you mentioned, I was you know on staff one summer, just a, a just one of the student staff. um leading small group and working in the classroom. And then the next summer as one of the classroom coordinators. And there really is no other place kind of like Summit of just the ability to connect with fellow believers, to grow deeper, to really uh, grow in our understanding of the Christian worldview and really how it applies to all areas of life. And you mentioned uh, some of the students have gone on to do incredible things. You know, are there any kind of highlights that stick out uh, to you of, of certain students that have gone through Summit of what they kind of experienced and what they're kind of doing now?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yeah. so, so many stories. Well, let me tell you one from last week. This is a student who graduated from Summit. He thought he would go into the medical field. In fact, he had gone down to I a, think a, a South American country, developing country, and in his his visit there, he had worked in a lab, and it was sort of a pre uh, a, a pre med internship before he went on to medical school he realized while he was there that there was a really dramatic need for medical equipment and testing that that was as as important as you could have doctors, but unless doctors had information, they couldn't do anything. So he, he sort of pivoted and went into medical engineering instead. And he was part of a company that won a major, major prize for medical innovation from the Cisco Company, yeah, which is yeah. you know multi hundred billion dollar company, and and uh, then just last week uh, he and his team announced, and and he's I think he's probably I'd say he's probably twenty six now, uh, which makes me feel <laughs> really old, but he just announced that they had that had developed using a three D printer. Um, a mask that people can wear that medical personnel can wear that is you can clean it it prints out flat and then conforms to your face Wow oh. it's a high quality mask and he and his company are they're not they didn't make this to sell it they decided they've made this to give away so they are giving it to they'll be they'll have now I, I believe what will be the highest quality Mask on the market to protect medical personnel. Wow! And it's so fascinating because he he came to Summit, I believe, twice and absolutely loved his time there. Loved the Manitou Incline there, Manitou Springs, Colorado. And and, but he had just really wondered how could I make a difference in the world, and 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 here he is, right in the middle of the coronavirus. Yeah, doing something that any and anybody who has a three D printer and The kind of material—it's very common material used for 3D printers. Anybody who has that can make this mask and end the uh, the shortage of PPE for hospitals.
0: It's got to be so encouraging to have these students who who go through the program that recognize what they have been created to do. That God's created them for a purpose to be producers, not just consumers, and then to go out and be innovative in this way. It's just so, got to be so encouraging, um, you know. And then so you mentioned there's a few programs, a few different ways. So let's just kind of mention this here really quick. You know mm-hmm. what? How where do people get more information on kind of who who should be at Summit and uh, and how they can learn more about the summer programs that are coming up.
1: Well, summit.org is our website, but if you want information on Summit Virtual, registration opens tomorrow. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday, April 21st. Yeah. And so tomorrow will be Wednesday, April 22nd. That's when registration opens. And you want to go to summit.org/slash virtual. Summit.org/slash virtual. Uh, You'll find all the information you need about our in person programs and which ones still have seats available. Uh, Again, just it's hard to know. You know, the governors are deciding what kinds of groups can get together and how many people and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. But even if they weren't making the decisions, parents who are the ones who usually sign up their 16 to 25 year olds to come and usually end up paying for it, they vote with their dollars. So we don't. We don't necessarily get to say, hey, we're, we're tough. We're going to keep on going. If parents don't feel that we can provide a safe environment, they they won't be participating. So Summit Virtual will be a great option for any young person who wants to get some good, solid biblical worldview training this summer yeah. and develop a great community yeah. of other young adults who Love Jesus, want to be people who make a difference. Yeah, that's great.
0: Well, you know, right now I have quite a few students, about over 100 students at my school who are going through some of your textbooks. And so they're sending in some questions, some of them kind of personal on your story, as well as some questions about Summit. So I want to jump into some of these questions. Again, before we get into your new book, Unquestioned Answers. Uh, So uh, the first one is just a little bit of history here on Summit. So first of all, you know, how did Summit Ministries begin? Was it a church, a group of people, or a single leader with a vision?
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, so I, I see the I see the question there, but I had to put on my glasses to be able to read it <laughs> I'm of that age. So Summit Ministries began in 1962. It started as an outgrowth of a uh, it, it, well, it, it's got a very bizarre story. Actually, it started as an outgrowth of an anti-communist. Uh, ministry. A program where in, if you kind of put yourself back into the early 1960s, you could see the growth of the military power of the Soviet Union and of China and the growing number of communist countries around the world. And a lot of people saw that as a threat, including ultimately Ronald Reagan, who became president of the United States and helped, helped shepherd the downfall of communism in Eastern Europe and in Russia. but. The uh, the people who were running that program decided that they ought to have a youth branch. They ought to have something that trains young adults. So they they looked around for where that might happen. Someone told them there was this antique hotel in Manitou Springs, Colorado, that had been seized by the government for non-payment of taxes. They went out there, saw the facility, bought it for thirty thousand dollars. And started the Summit Ministries program in 1962. So it was originally called the Christian uh, Anti-Communism Crusade. Um, later changed to Summit Ministries. The parent ministry f- ended up folding for a variety of reasons. I won't get into here, but Summit Ministries continued on separately from that. And it was really as a result of the those initial. Studies that Marxism is a worldview that is very definitely influential in the world. Still today, it was even more so than in in um, at a national governmental level. And the question was, are there other worldviews that are influential? So Dr. David Noble began to study other worldviews, such as secularism. Uh, I came out to help him develop a curriculum years and years ago while I was doing my doctorate at the University of Denver, and we added the new age movement at that time we called it cosmic humanism. Now in the textbook that you have, it's called new spirituality. Yeah. So the summit ministries really began to grow very, very rapidly in 1988, and 1989, because a student came who did not want to come to the program. His father made him come to it. And the student absolutely had a fantastic experience, flew back home And uh, recruited several of his friends to come back for another two-week session. And then that father, of course, that got his dad's attention. And uh, that father's name was Dr. James Dobson. Mm -hmm. And he put the program on. He had a radio show that uh, spoke to more than a million people every single day. So as soon as he talked about Summit Ministries on the air, the program went from having 250 students a summer to having 14,000 requests for applications (laughs) in the course of two months. (laughs) Wow. It's just been, it's been crazy ever since. I came back to help David Noble shortly after that, and then finished my graduate degree and went on to become a professor and start several businesses. And it was my privilege to come back almost nine years ago, eight and a half years ago. Yeah. To become the president at at his retirement.
0: Yeah, well, and as I've said many times, you know, it's just such an incredible ministry, and I, it was a privilege just to be a part of it uh, in the time that I had there, and now being able to teach that content as well. So, another question then came in is, okay, so why uh, why compare the different worldviews with Christianity? Why why should we be comparing these different
1: worldviews? Well, if if I go back to the definition of a worldview, worldview is a, a pattern, and that's the key word that. We, That If you want to be successful in any area of life, you have to study the patterns that govern that area. If you want to be successful in sports, you have to study the patterns of play in your sport. If you want to be successful in business, you have to study the patterns in that particular field. If you want to be successful in the world of ideas, you also recognize that ideas flow in patterns. So I defined a worldview as a set of uh a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. If it's true that these, that ideas do flow in patterns, and we can discern that those ideas flow in patterns, then what used to be incomprehensible can become comprehensible to us. If you, if one of the examples I use in the book is a being at the Bodleian Library I love being a, a you know a member of the Bodleian Library but it is a little overwhelming if you go to the Bodleian Library and there you know there're 5 million books and 6 million associated artifacts and if you if you want to start thinking how many ideas are in 5 million books you realize there's just this is overwhelming I could never handle this but you don't have to understand all of the ideas in all of those books you can, as the Apostle Paul said, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ if you begin to understand the patterns of biblical thinking versus the patterns of the world's thinking. So the reason we need to compare the world compare worldviews is that a biblical worldview, which I believe is based on the Bible, which is God's revelation, to their, we have revelation through nature, of course. But we have special revelation from God in scripture. And we need to understand that these other patterns of ideas, these other worldviews, are counterfeits to that true worldview. That's how I, I view it, that's how I teach it. If you understand that the other ideas are counterfeits, you realize when a false worldview makes some kind of a claim, it doesn't automatically mean that everything about that claim is false. When you say that a worldview is a counterfeit worldview, you're saying that it's an imitation of a Christian worldview that intends to defraud people by passing itself off as the original. You know, secularists will say, stop paying attention to Christians. Our understanding of what a human being is, our understanding of what is wrong with us as human beings, our understanding of the solutions uh, is what you should be paying attention to, not a biblical Christian worldview. And I think that's a tragedy. When that happens, it's a tragedy for cultures, and it's a tragedy for individual people. So, if we if we want to be successful in taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and understanding God's will, and bringing blessing to the nations of the earth, then we need to understand what we're up against, yeah. as well as what we're for. <clears throat>
0: And that's good. It's just having an understanding. It's not you know necessarily just to attack, but it's like how can we better manage and maneuver? And that's kind of Greg Kokel's book on tactics is maneuvering and having conversations and and having a good understanding and showing that we care enough about the person to know what they believe and what they think. Now, right. One thing that you do mention in your new book, Unquestioned Answers, and the cliches that come up is the cliche, you know, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And now, you know, for those watching who've grown up in the church, it's probably one that they've heard more than most. Um, and you kind of share this. And so maybe we'll kind of jump into to that a little bit, but it does kind of respond to this question of um, one way in which this cliche might kind of be a little bit shallow, and you can maybe talk to this, is this idea of what do we do when bad things happen in our life? What do we do with the evil pain and suffering that's around us? And so it kind of relates to this question. So we can kind of jump in and talk about that as well as this. But yeah. the question came in of, is there ever a time where something happened to you or someone close to you that caused you to doubt your faith? And then what did you do to overcome that doubt?
1: Well, let me, let me start by saying, Ryan, before I even t- tell a story or two, the, the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. It is possible for a person to have doubts and to still be convinced that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and is our savior and Lord. Uh, That's contrary to what a lot of Christians are taught. It's certainly contrary to what I was taught growing up, that if you're asking questions, it's because you're doubting and doubt is the ultimate sin. I prefer to think in the way Tim Reverend Timothy Keller from New York city says that doubt is to face what antibodies are to the body that you, you need some, you need some antibodies. You need to, you need some, you need something that forces your immune system to strengthen itself against opposition. So uh, my story really, and I tell the story in Unquestioned Answers, yeah. my story really was I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, up and through up through third grade, I went to a local public school. I didn't learn anything in that public school because my best friend Philip and I had developed, we had perfected the art of pilfering the teacher's answer book when she was running around the classroom trying to get control of, the classes were huge in those days, 35, 35 rowdy urban kids. Uh, running around, and while she was doing that, we would pilfer the answer book and copy down all of the answers. So my parents learned that I wasn't learning anything when I finished third grade and I could barely add and subtract. I couldn't write cursive. It just so anyway, she, they decided to send me to a Christian school. and I noticed at the Christian school that one on one, the people were very nice, but when they banded together, it seemed that they became cruel. That I had a you know, I had a friend, a little friend who never turned in his homework. And the response from the school was he would receive a paddling every day. Being a and teacher, said, that I broke my heart when I read that. Back. Like, <laughs> I, I know. It, it, even at nine years of age, I knew that there, it, there's something wrong here. Has it not occurred to anybody in the school that a kid who never turns in his homework might have a problem that paddling can't solve? So I began to, even at nine years of age, become disillusioned of the faith. And then we moved to Kansas, had some great mentoring, lots of people in my church who loved me and were very kind, but they did not know how to answer the difficult questions that I was trying to wrestle through in my own mind and in my own heart. Um, I had a number of other experiences that I could tell about, but I think that experience began to build up a lot of doubt for me and as I told it the, sh- the story I shared at the outset it was not so much that I felt that I had all found all of the answers is that it's that I realized it's okay to ask questions and to search and so it's okay to wait for answers and once I understood that then it helped me realize the what a lot of people get afraid of as Christians is that oh well, we, we have a problem with, we have a problem with evil. If, you know, if God is all powerful, then he could stop bad things from happening. If God was truly all good, then he would stop bad things from happening. So either he isn't as powerful as we think, or he isn't good. Uh, so Christians have a problem with evil. What, what seldom occurs to believers is that every worldview has a problem with evil. And other worldviews struggle far more than the yeah. Christian worldview yeah. has with trying to answer it. For example, a new spiritualist worldview or an Eastern worldview just denies that suffering exists. Well, denying that suffering exists does not make it go away. Um, if, you, if you take a secular worldview, you listen to somebody like Richard Dawkins. I remember his famous statement from the book Blind Watchmaker, DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music you know where is the hope in that so what we realize from a biblical worldview is several things first of all that god made he is he made good not only did he make things to be good but he made the very idea of good itself and then he put us into this world he did not make us to be marionette puppets dangling from strings he rather he directs us as in a play and when we, we have gotten to the place where our free choices take us, we will realize that he has been there all along working things out to his perfect will.
0: Yeah. If we understand yeah. that
1: and we understand something about where sin comes from, then we can realize that we as Christians are, one of the reasons we're here on this earth is to be those who bring good into the world. Yeah. We're to be God's bearers, not only of the good news of trusting Jesus as your Savior, but to apply a biblical worldview to every area of life. And when believers in history have done that, the changes have been extraordinary. Christians, and I I can go, I went into a little bit of this in Unquestioned Answers, in the book I'm starting to write right now, even this week, is called Truth Changes Everything. And I'll go into great detail of how Christian it was Christians, and it had to have been Christians because people from no other worldview could have ever pulled this off, who brought about the scientific revolution, who brought about re- uh, renovation of education, who changed medicine, who made it possible to for the world to produce great art and architecture. You go right on down the line, it's really extraordinary how truth does, in fact, change everything. So when we understand this idea of the, the, how truth just absolutely
0: changes, what would you say then to the person? Because this kind of question came in, too, of, of what do you do with when someone does not have a set belief and they can't figure out what they should believe in? Um, you know, Do we take different bits and pieces from different worldviews, or how do we understand this truth that really is changing reality?
1: I understand the temptation to take little bits and pieces. It seems like a very American thing to do, right? Just in the same way that if you go to a restaurant, you can order what you want off the menu. You don't have to just take whatever they give you. It seems fair that you could find some things in one religion that makes sense to you and find some things in another religion that makes sense to you. Unfortunately, ideas don't really work that way. If you – What you believe about God will determine what you believe about what's real. What you believe about what's real will determine what you believe about what's right or wrong. What you believe about what's right or wrong will determine what you believe about the value of life and so forth. So. um, A lot I know a lot of people who take little bits and pieces um, and, and as long as they don't really ever think it through, as long as they can develop little compartments in their minds where they don't have to ever put anything, everything together, then they feel as if they're, you know, I, I'm, I'd come up with a worldview that makes sense to me. Hmm. But that phrase to me, Ryan, and, and you've seen the book unquestioned answers. So, you know, that is the problem at the root of all the others. That idea that it is up to me, that I am the center of reality. Unfortunately, Christians believe that as much as non-believers do, and it, it prevents us from really experiencing the full life that I think God wants us to have. Yeah, I don't know if <laughs> that answers the question, but...
0: No, I think that's good, is, yeah, recognizing um, and who God is, and and, and I think the 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 story of reality, right? The way in which God has tied all things together. And we live in a culture, and I think you said it well, that we live in a culture where we wanna pick and choose. We we do it with our movies that we watch, with, with buffets that we go to, with the food. You can order your hamburger exactly what you like with no mayonnaise, with extra this. And we, I think, have gotten used to the idea of customizing everything around us and what we desire and what we like. And sometimes we take that same approach to other areas, but we have to recognize there are parts of life that we just can't customize. You can't customize math. You can't you know, you get what you get. Your bank account is what it is. Um, and so there are aspects of truth that we can't just pick and choose and we have to recognize what is true. How much money is actually in your bank account? Does it just change based on what you like or what you don't like? That's good. Uh, what would you say then is, oh sorry, go for it.
1: Oh, I was just going to add to that that I think the people I know who are most settled and successful in life are not those who imagine a world that they want and try to pretend that it exists. They're the ones who acknowledge what's really happening and then try to be wise and discerning inside of that.
0: So maybe we'll address one more question here and then kind of jump into the content of your book and address more as they come up if they relate. But uh, when did you realize that you had enough answers
1: to believe in Christ? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping it'll happen here sometime in the next few years. <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I want to challenge the, I think it's a great question, but I want to cause us to just pause and think a little bit about the, the premise of it. I don't believe that we need to be a hundred percent convinced in order to act intelligently in any area of life. Somebody who says they're a hundred percent convinced in my experience, is usually someone who stopped thinking and they only pay attention to evidence that fits their pre-existing convictions. And that is a little bit worrisome to me because it, people like that, when they when something happens that doesn't fit into their belief system and there's no possible way to explain it away, uh, they collapse. It it can be a crushing blow. So I think it's better if we acknowledge that this side of eternity, there will always be things we don't know. The apostle Paul says we see as though through a glass darkly. Yeah. we can't see. We don't even see the full reflection of what it is that God has created. And God has not seen fit to give us answers to every single question that we ask. Mm -hmm. You know, we, in the Bible, and by the way, this is not true of other religious books, but the Bible includes books and significant passages where people outright question God and say, "Why do the wicked prosper? When will the suffering ever end?" The whole book of Job, which I I tease my students a little bit. I say, if any of you become Bible translators, you need to retitle the book of Job: "God, what the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> because it. Because Job seems like a very pleasant man, and he was a just man. Scripture admits that. And in the middle of all of his suffering, he's not even really—I mean, he's kind of upset, but he's not belligerent. He essentially says, God, if you—I know you have reasons for everything that you do. If it's not too much trouble, I'd like to know what they are. And God never answers that why question. So— I do think it is it's all right if we go through life and we don't have answers to all of our questions. But having trust in God in the middle of that is is the answer. That's where peace and comes from, and that's where the ability comes from to turn the corner. Everybody else hoards, we share. Everybody else runs away from trouble, we run toward it. Everybody else diminishes the significance of what it means to be human. And we want to increase uh, up people's understanding of that. Yeah. So yeah. Christians in history make the biggest difference when they have the opportunity to go the opposite direction of where fear and panic and self-trust would lead everybody else to go.
0: Yeah and I think that relates so much to what Tyler Ellis in my last live stream commented on is that he was uh, working with a person who had so many questions she goes I'll never get these all answered and he said write them all down and after doing it prioritize them as being the most important you could never become yeah. a Christian unless these are answered and then as she went through the list of the most important questions I think he he said about number 5 or 6 when she finally went you know I could be I could follow God and and never have an answer to this question and realizing of her hundreds of questions only 5 really took her away from a relationship with God, and then the rest are ones that she can continue to pursue and, and look into after you know trusting in god that 's just so important of recognizing we 're never going to be a place where we have everything answered Yes, so, that's right now again, so we talk about at the beginning there 's a lot of unanswered questions, but as your book talks about, there are some unquestioned answers so answers that people give that Christians give uh very uh, maybe quickly little cliches that we hold <laughs> on to uh so kind of jumping into your book um why have you written this book, looking at some of the cliches and rethinking these cliches that Christians often use?
1: Uh, my friend David Eaton helped me with the title because it was, came from a conversation we had one day where he he said, you know, a lot of people have unanswered questions. and But he said, I'm, I'm really also concerned about all of the people who have unquestioned answers. Yeah. And I thought that was so perfect. I asked him if I could use it as the title of my book, and he agreed to graciously uh, agreed to let me do that but the idea of an unquestioned answer is these are these are the cliches that we say that stop us from thinking and keep our faith at a shallow level so I when I explained the concept to my team we wrote down a whole bunch of them we had our instructors comment on them we had I, I, our list was 15 of our on, on-site staff and then there were a whole bunch more other than that. And and we ended up choosing ten that we could work with, and and I chose chose these ten for mainly because I thought this is kind of this is kind of an opportunity to develop a sneaky catechism. If people say, "Oh, it's all about relationship, not religion," that's an opportunity to talk about worldview. Yeah. If somebody says, "It's just me and Jesus," that's an opportunity to talk about the importance of the church. Somebody says. God will heal our land if we humble ourselves and pray. That's an opportunity to talk about what the Bible says regarding prayer. If somebody says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. (laughs) That's an opportunity to talk about how we really know that the Bible is true. So, right on down the line, it ended up that we had a really neat way of putting together some, some teaching that's biblical and solid on 10 key areas. Of the Christian faith, that but starting with cliches that we should set aside, in some cases they're wrong, they're flat out wrong, in other cases, they just aren't the best way. they're just not something you want to lead with, yeah. because it's, it's so, so would you question big and too deep?
0: Yeah, so would you actually recommend not using any of the ten that you've listed in the book?
1: Well, uh, many of them are ones that I had to grit my teeth through writing the chapter because I had used them, (laughs) and I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. But the truth is, whenever we use cliches to answer people's problems, it ends up communicating to them that we really don't care about them and their story and what they're really working through, that we care more just about Wrapping this up and putting a bow on it and setting it aside. Yeah, that the the best of, of biblical Christianity isn't at the end of the conversation. It's not ending conversations. It's beginning them.
0: And I think, you know, you're, you gave a story that I just think is so wonderful that helps make sense of this is you, you talk about this dueling you know, bumper stickers where the Christian puts the Jesus fish on their car and then the, you know, the skeptic or the, you know, the secularist comes back and puts the Darwin fish on there. And then the Christian puts the Jesus fish eating the Darwin fish on their car. And you ask the question, you know, what are the odds that dueling car logos, will, car logos will sit down and discuss their perspectives? And then my question I had, too, is like, what are the chances that these dueling car logos will actually be convinced or change their mind? It's like, oh, no, a, a Jesus fish ate the Darwin fish. I guess Christianity is true and creation's true. I need to believe it. Right. And it's right. <laughs> rather than having these quick little one liners that we come back, how do we actually sit down and have conversations with people?
1: In yeah, relationships? well, I think it's OK. And, I, and people might disagree with me about this. I'm sure a lot of them do. But I I think it's okay to recognize that we don't have to quote unquote close the deal in every conversation that we have. That it's okay for questions to still remain at the end of a conversation. To to for further conversation to be invited, and if that's all right, then I think it's it's okay to. Um, uh, I'm kind of I kind of lost track of your question there, but it's I think it's okay to be in a place where we're where we are, we're the ones who uh, inquire. We're the ones who are curious. We, We don't have to submit to sort of a Christian version of political correctness, which says, well, you, if you're, if you're saying that, or you're asking that shame on you, shame, 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 right? That's what, that's what students face on college campuses all of the time is we don't get to really discuss anything important because our professors have already decided what we should believe. And they shame us if we disagree. I I don't want Christians to play that game. I want Christians to be the ones to say, huh, tell me more about that. Or I'm curious, how did you get to that conclusion? What's your story? Tell me about you. Those kinds of things. It's okay to be in a place where we, we start with that.
0: Yeah. So you yeah. already answered the first part of this question, but the second part really relates to what you just said. Is you know how do we actually make friends, or do you actually make friends with those who hold to different worldviews and learn from them? And then maybe how would you go about doing this uh, in person? You just gave a few
1: examples of asking good questions. I mean, sometimes it's it's really weird. Before the coronavirus quarantine, I traveled pretty much every week, so this has been new for me. But traveling, you meet lots of people, lots of different situations. So every week, I would be in several different Uber rides, having conversations with people. I, I just try to be open to having conversations, just be open to discussing and asking questions of people. But I've even in my town, I, I now our ministry is located in Manitou Springs, Colorado. Which I don't know if any viewers have been there, but it's a little hippie town, right at the foot of Pikes Peak. Beautiful. It is a beautiful little town and people are very friendly, but they're also very, say, shall we say, far left. Uh, somebody asked me, I bet Bernie Sanders was very popular in your town. And I, <laughs> I had to tell them, oh, no, Bernie Sanders is far too conservative for my neighbors to consider voting. <laughs> for him. So it's pretty it's, it's pretty out there. You're far more likely to see Buddhist prayer flags flying from front porches than you are see, to see American flags flying from front porches, as an example. So, I had a lot of opportunities, and have had many, many opportunities to spend time with people and and talk about beliefs. But one thing I do is I, I listen and I ask questions. So, sitting at one of my son's soccer games, chatting with a mom, she was she's very committed to a New Age worldview, and was sharing all of the breakthroughs that she had had through recent meditation techniques that she had learned. And I just kept asking, Hey, tell me more about that. I'm curious. How does that work? Well, at one point, just because she's, you know, she's a person, she's polite. She realizes I don't want to dominate this conversation. So she just turned to me and said, how do you see all of this? So I offered up a quick prayer and I said, I, I am firmly convinced that God is not a force, but is a person. And she said, really? Why do you say that? I said, well, because I understand this to be true of God from Scripture, and I gave a little bit of the gospel presentation. She said, well, if, if God is a person, do you, do you talk to him? And I said, yes. She asked, well, how do you do that? And I said, well, I talk to God through prayer. But then at the moment we were having this conversation, I was going through a really difficult period. And I wasn't, I didn't, I don't hide that. I try to live as vulnerably as I know how. And I I said, at least that's how it's supposed to work in theory. But I said, I just, right now I said, when I pray, I just don't feel like God is hearing me. Hmm. And Orion, at that very moment, another woman came and sat right in between the two of us. We looked at her and realized she'd been crying. We asked, what's wrong? She said, I don't want to talk about it. I just had some very bad news, family family news. And this other lady, the new ager, put her hand on the shoulder of this newcomer and said, it's going to be okay. Jeff will pray for you. And then she said, and he's very good at that. All I could think of was, did we just have the same conversation? Because what I remember of the conversation is ex- the expressing frustration that I didn't feel that I was communicating with God. Hmm. But to her, that was the kind of vulnerability. She didn't need someone to say, I guarantee you 100% that you are wrong and I am right.
0: Yeah. What
1: she needed was to hear somebody who sincere and and it has strong beliefs, but also recognizes that there are tough things that need to be answered. And that invited a conversation, invited a friendship rather than shutting down the conversation or making it feel like I've got that YouTube moment where the so-and-so watched so-and-so absolutely crush so-and-so and leave them speechless <laughs> kind of moment.
0: Oh, I was gonna title this video, "Dr. Jeff Myers crushes Christian memes" in all capital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good, and that's obviously what we want, right? And we want to dialogue. We want to build relationships. We want to come alongside people. And and you mentioned in your book. You know how sometimes these these question unquestioned answers have a dark side that they they make us vulnerable or they disillusion us they produce shame not change in people uh, they shut down vital discussion and then they even sometimes turn people away from truth and I think that's a good example uh, of that of how that sometimes it just it, it's very shallow and you know it's not producing the conversations and the relationships that often we want. Um, no, we only have about 10 minutes or so left. And so I want to jump into a couple of these, because when I posted online that I'd be interviewing you on these different uh, cliches, the number one, the number one cliche that people wanted uh, you to discuss was this idea of Christianity being a relationship rather than uh, a re- not a religion. It's a relationship, not a religion. And I remember even when I was in high school and it was MySpace before Facebook, I, I think might've been at the beginning of Facebook, but anyways, it might've been MySpace, but it was like, what religion are you? And it was the option of like choosing from the religions or putting other. I did not want to put Christianity because well, Christianity is a religion. And so I chose other and I wrote relationship with Jesus is my religion. And so there's that very idea. So what is this idea? And why would you say this is a cliche that, uh, uh, how do we rethink this cliche of Christianity is a relationship, not a religion?
1: When I first started as a, a speaker, I had the opportunity to speak in some chapels and Christian schools. And I remember thinking back on my experience in a Christian school early on, the story that I tell in the book, that it seemed like a very harsh environment to me. And so I would tell people, just forget, just set aside religion for a moment. This is about a relationship with Jesus. So just like you. I was finding myself saying that kind of a thing. And probably most people who are on the call have seen the Jefferson Bethke video on YouTube that's so spoken word artist and it's so beautifully done. And it, it's really remarkable, but it's the idea of comparing Christianity to other religions and saying Christianity, is, the, the truth of Christianity comes from this profound personal relationship with Jesus rather than the following of a list of rules so it's very compelling my my problem with that it's relationship not religion is that we need to understand that christianity that jesus is our savior but jesus also through scripture offers us a framework for understanding all of reality maybe you could say it this way relationship and religion neither word really accurately describes what christianity is all about what jesus did in dying on the cross and rising again but you could say that christianity is different than other religions because it's based on a personal relationship with god rather than just following a list of rules or laws Mm -hmm. so that that may be the simplest way to put it but that's a (laughs) That's a big one. If you you look up the definition of religion in the dictionary, it's a set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. And Christianity very definitely provides that. So the only way to say that Christianity is not a religion is to make up your own definition of religion and say that, so, it's this is what I say a religion is, and Christianity is not that, therefore Christianity is not a religion. Yeah, you see, what you've done. You just made it all about you. Yeah, and it seems yeah, like right. too
0: many of the times where I see this presented is it it's coming from this idea of of uh, making religion equal to uh, legalism, right? As you kind of just said, it's this legalism of the Jews, but Jesus came and He spoke against that, right? And it's a and it's knowing who Christ is, and that's kind of the more important thing. Um, but I think it's good because we hear this all the time, right? And you you have the quote in your book of, you know, it's, uh uh um, oh, I have it here. Religion says do, Jesus says done, you know, religion says slave, Jesus says son, right? These are kind of those common things that we hear. And it's like, hold on, you know, we have to understand. It's like, we're making this seem to be something it's not necessarily. Christianity is this comprehensive worldview that includes so much. Now, another one, oh, sorry.
1: I was just going to say that uh, your antenna should go up. When somebody says it's either this or this, the first question you want to ask as a thinker is, does it have to be one or the other? Because a lot of, a lot of aspects of reality are, you know, they're, they're not, there, there are several different options that you can choose from. That's why in understanding the times we look at six different worldviews, not just two. Yeah. We don't want to oversimplify the world. Because then when people get into a world that's genuinely complex, they feel like they've been misled by their teachers and rather not be in that position.
0: Absolutely. Um, Now, another big one that is more controversial and you bring this up is that, you know, if Christians are standing up in the public sphere, um, you know, it might be very frequent or it might be common that they're asked the question, well, do you think homosexuality is a sin? Right, and so we kind of have this saying that goes around, is when we say something like, you know, well, we love the sinner, uh, but we hate the sin. Right, saying that God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. Uh, why is this a, a cliche that you think that we should
1: rethink? I think we re- need to rethink it because if we're honest, we usually say love the sinner, hate the sin, when we are talking with someone and we judge. That their sin is worse for them than ours is for us. That is to misunderstand the nature of how Scripture describes sin. And the analogy I use in the book is, if we really understand sin, then we will be in a place where, excuse me, where we, we recognize that we've all pitched headlong over a cliff, only to find ourselves rescued by the strong arm of the one we had betrayed. If we recognize that we're all in that situation, excuse me, then, then we're, in, we're better positioned to understand what, what sin really is all about and, and how people tend to wrap their identity around their sin. This is, if you, if you don't believe that sin is real or you want to justify yourself, then you would tend to say, well, my identity is this sin, right? I am this way. Um, It will take on a label of some sort. Um, So a person might say, I'm a, you know, I'm LGBT in the same way that your eyes are blue. So it's, it's the identity. If we were to, if we were to recognize that, then you can see how difficult it would be for someone to ever have a conversation with you when you lead with love the sinner, hate the sin. That's like saying, I love you, but I hate the fact that you have blue eyes. They just freak me out. You know, that's well. the person's going to say. Well, I'm I'm sorry. There's not a lot I can do about that. That's just who I that's just who I am. Yeah, that's how people see not only their personal characteristics, like their skin color, hair color, national origin, eye color and so forth. That is how they see the things that Christians might look at and say that goes against God's plan. So you, you want to step back from saying, love the sinner, hate the sin, and focus on who that person is. If a person places her identity in uh, sexuality, um, it, it, we don't deny that sexuality is a part of who we are. We just, we, But we do instinctively understand that our, our identity comes from who we are as image bearers of God primarily, not our sexuality, that sexuality would flow out of that. And that when we understand first that we're image bearers of God, then a lot of other things come into perspective.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say in response then in our last couple of minutes, uh, if if someone here is challenged with that question, how should they respond?
1: If they're challenged with what question?
0: Uh, So you're a Christian. Do you think homosexuality is a sin?
1: Oh well, I, I I think you always, and maybe this is just the professor in me, but I uh, you always want to respond to questions with questions, because a question is actually an argument. It's a statement that comes from someplace. Yeah. And if you answer the question without seeking out where that question came from, then you're probably answering the wrong question if you're doing anything at all. So I think it's better to ask questions. If somebody says, "Do you think homosexuality is a sin?" You would say something to the effect of, "What is your understanding of sin? What is your understanding of something that constitutes sin?" Well, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not here to argue with you. I just want to know. Do you think homosexuals are going to hell? Well, what is your understanding of what kind of a person would be deserving of hell? And what you what you will find is one of two things happens. Well, I, either this person will say, I, I haven't really thought it through that much. Uh, I'm not really sure. Or uh, stop asking me questions. Just answer mine, which is usually a person who, it, you know, they're doing they're doing back to Christians what Christians often get accused of doing, which is trying to shut the conversation down rather than open it. Yeah. And it usually happens in media interviews. I think it's best to to uh, get back to the heart of the matter and and say, well, you know, what what do you mean by sin? You know, where did that question even come from? Why is that important for you to ask that?
0: That's so good. Well, man, we are out of time. I wish we could continue on, but again, encourage those who are listening to go out and grab your book, Unquestioned Answers, as you cover these at much more depth, but also other ones. And one I wanted to talk about, but we ran out of time, of this idea of, hey, if we if we pray and and uh, then God will heal our lands if we humble ourselves. And why isn't He healing us from the coronavirus? that's another big question that you can get the book and check out. So, Doctor Jeff. Thank you again so much for taking this time out of your day and uh, joining us for this
1: discussion. Thanks, Ryan. Great to be with you. Take care, man. Absolutely. Thank you.
0: And again, for those listening and watching, as always, just again, check out all the links below in the, uh, to find out all the information for Dr. Jeff Myers uh, so you can know how to connect with him. And then subscribe and follow on social media for the interviews coming up. Next week is the interview with Dr. Clay Jones on his book, Immortality, How the Fear of Death Drives Us. So with that, I'm going to sign off. A wonderful rest of your day guys God bless
1: I just truly won't hesitate to fall love you will love well guy in my